Greetings, my name is Sasan Tavasoli, and this is a course uh, we are calling Introduction to Christian Muslim Theological Issues. In this course, we want to emphasize how Islam challenges Christian faith and theology. But before we get into the course, and before I introduce the course to you in our first session, I want to start with sharing with you my testimony. Because I believe there are many themes that you can observe in my testimony that relate to the larger theological issues that we are going to talk about in the rest of the course. And in the first hour of this course, besides my testimony, I also want to give you a big picture overview of what God is doing in the Muslim world. These are truly encouraging times to be alive and to be a Christian. I don't intend to just teach this course so you can learn some more theories and some more doctrines. I want you to feel passionate about the Muslims you will meet and how you can share your faith more effectively with those people. I was born in a Shiite Muslim home in the country of Iran. My family also belonged to Sufi orders in Islam. Now, some of you watching these programs, you might not know much about Islam, and some of you might know a lot, of, lot about various sects in Islam. Sufism, for those who don't know, is the more mystical aspect of Islamic tradition. So I grew up in a home that was very much um, it, what lived in the context of mystical Islam. And yet, I grew up in a country where we experienced a radical Islamic revolution in 1979. So growing up in Iran, I experienced radically different faces of Islam. There are Muslims in the Sufi tradition who emphasize a relationship with God and the love of God. And of course, there were radical Muslims who were willing to kill anybody who didn't submit to the Islamic rule. When I was about 16 years old, my family decided to send me out of my country of Iran. Our country was in the middle of a very long war with Iraq, and many young men were being killed on both sides. So some families were sending their sons out of the country so we would not be drafted into the military. And by God's providence, I ended up in the country of Portugal. Growing up as a Muslim in Iran, I knew nothing about the Christian faith. I had never seen a Bible or never been to a church before in my life. But God provided a way for me to go to Portugal and attend a Christian school in Portugal. It was a Christian school which had been started by a group of American missionaries. And a couple of days after I arrived in the country, I was sitting in a Bible class in this Christian school. And they sat me in a Bible class to test my English comprehension. This was an English-speaking school. And the teacher was talking about the end times from a biblical perspective. As a Muslim, I had no idea what he was talking about. That was actually my first class in Christian theology. And I raised my hand, and I asked my first profound theological question. I asked my teacher, how come Christians can drink wine, but Muslims cannot? How come your word of God says one thing, and our word of God says something else? Now, why did I ask that question? Because as a Muslim, we had been taught that all religions taught the same thing. That all prophets had come from God, we knew Jesus was a prophet, and so we believed that on essential issues, all prophets had brought the same message. But there were minor differences between these religions, 
and so to my young mind, uh, to, to my young Muslim mind, I thought the issue of wine is one of those big differences. The teacher's answer changed my life. So I asked him, I had asked him, how come your word of God says one thing and our word of God, the Quran, says something else? And the teacher simply responded with another question to me. The teacher said, how do you know the Quran is the word of God? And that question changed my life. Because as a Muslim that had grown up in a Muslim home and a Muslim country, nobody had ever put that question to me before. I had always taken it for granted that the Quran is the word of God and everybody who knows it believes that. But that question shook me up. I mean, that response shook me up. Because for the first time, I asked myself, what do I believe and why I believe what I believe? And when I speak to Christian groups all around the world, I challenge Christians with the same question. What do you believe as Christians and why you believe what you believe? Are you a Christian just because you grew up in a Christian home? Your parents or your pastors have told you that? Or do you have your own convictions for what it is you're standing for? I hope during the course of this week, you will become deeper in your understanding of your own faith. I hope you will you know, you will know more about what you believe and why you believe what you believe. So I didn't know what I believed as a Muslim or why I believed that. So I, I wrote a letter to my mother in Iran and asked her to send me a copy of the Quran in Portugal. And for the first, I had grown up in a Muslim country. We had religion classes for all my life. But for the first time, I really began to read the Quran for myself you will run into Muslims all around the world that have no idea what the Quran actually says. So I started to read the Quran, and then I started going to church. Somebody gave me a Bible, and I started to read the Bible. And then I started going to a Bible study on Tuesdays, Bible study on Wednesday, and a Bible study on Thursday. I was consumed with the question of truth. I kept reading the Bible, and I kept reading the Quran and comparing the two. Shortly after I had arrived in the Christian school, I found out that Christians believe Jesus is God incarnate. I found that Christians believe Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. And I became very offended. And, and my first two reactions when I heard what Christian believe, Christians believe were these two things. My first reaction was Christians are insane. They're crazy people. And how could they believe such blasphemy to believe a man, a prophet, is God? I was offended by, by Christians and the gospel. In fact, I remember telling the pastor of the church this thing, this comment. I was so upset. I said, if you are telling me that my religious leaders are in hell, I'd rather be in hell with them than in, with, with your Christ in heaven. I am telling you this because of this reason. You will meet many Muslims in your life that are very nominal. They really don't know what they believe. They don't say their prayers five times a day. They don't read the Quran. They don't do any religious thing that they're supposed to do. But as soon as you challenge them with the gospel, they become defensive. The defense walls go up and they start attacking the Christian faith. So be aware of that. But anyway, I really wanted to get to the bottom of this thing. I wanted to know where is the truth? In fact, I told my missionary friends, I said, if there is any truth, I can find it in Islam and in my own religious tradition. And I told my Christian friends, I mean, I knew that they, I believed that they were good people, and I told them, I don't want to deny your faith either. 
I was reading the Bible and the Quran with the intention of finding a compromise between the two books. I wanted to find a middle path to say, you are right and we are right. But my brothers and sisters, the more I read the Bible and the more I read the Quran, I realized they contradict each other on every fundamental point of doctrine. I could not face these two books honestly and claim that they have both come from God. And that discovery of mine is the theme of our class this week. The Quran says it's the word of God, it's the final word of God to humanity. And the Quran says it has come to fulfill and confirm the previous revelations and scriptures. But when you start reading the Bible, you realize that the Quran does not confirm, does not match the previous scriptures. What the Quran says about God, about man, about sin, about salvation, about Christ, they all contradict the gospel. God couldn't have said one thing in the Bible and 600 years later have said something opposite in the Quran. So I, uh, I, that really began, this discovery really began to confuse me. I uh, told one of my missionary friends one day, uh, when we were in Iran, we used to watch uh, Indian cowboy movies. And sometimes we saw this person like being tied to two horses and being pulled in two opposite directions. And so that's what I was feeling. I was feeling like I was being pulled in two different directions. So I told one of my missionary friends, I said, I am just being torn inside about the claims of the Bible and the Quran. And my friend told me, you got to let go of one of the horses. You can't hold on to both. Now, what was it that drew me to Christ? As I was reading the Bible and as I was reading the Quran, what were the things God used in my life to open my eyes to the truth of Christ? I had been reading these books and attending church and Bible studies for several months. And one thing that really touched my heart was the emphasis on love and grace and forgiveness in the New Testament, the teaching of Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. And I found that to be very different than all the verses in the Quran that talked about violence and killing the enemies. But another thing that made a profound impact on my life were the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. Um, as a Muslim reading the Bible, reading the New Testament, every time my, a, a very obvious uh, struggle is to believe in the deity of Christ. I believe that any, every, every, every time in the New Testament that there were verses about the deity of Christ, as a Muslim I would say, no, Jesus didn't say that. I would say the Bible's been corrupted. I would say this is what Paul said, this is not what Jesus said. So the biggest struggle for me as a Muslim was to come to grips with the truth of the deity of Christ. And that's how God used the Old Testament prophecies to open my eyes. I had read the Psalms. I had read the book of Isaiah. I had read the Messianic prophecies throughout the scriptures. I had read books that talked about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I knew for sure that these Old Testament scriptures were written hundreds of years before Christ. And archaeologists had discovered old Jew, manu, Hebrew manuscripts of the Bible hundred, uh, that dated to 100 to 200 years before Christ. So these Old Testament prophecies, they were not made up by Paul or corrupted by Christians later on. And so one day, 
in January 19, 1985, I woke up on a Saturday morning. I woke up and Isaiah 9-6 came before my eyes. Isaiah, several centuries before the Messiah, makes this claim. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This child who is to be born, this son who is to be given, Isaiah 7:14 talks about being born of a virgin. I remember, and so that day I woke up and I said the deity of Christ is something that God had prophesied hundreds of years in advance before the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is not just another prophet in the long line of prophets as Islam claimed. God had promised that he will come to be with his own people. Not just in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in the Psalms. I remembered Psalm 22, the description of the suffering of Christ on the cross. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53. See, to me, the beauty of the Old Testament prophecies were this. Prophet Muhammad came out of a cave one night and said, I found the truth, come and follow me. Other religious leaders say, we found the truth, we've got enlightenment, come and follow us. But God had prepared the coming of the Messiah hundreds of years in advance in incredible detail about where he was to be born, who he was going to be, how he was going to die. And so that convinced me of the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ. That was January 19, 1985, but I was scared to make that step of faith and commitment. I thought Allah was going to zap me dead because I wanted to abandon Islam and become a Christian. You have to understand, for a Muslim to come out of Islam, it takes a great deal of commitment. It's not just, it's just a change of some beliefs, it's not just a change of religion, it's turning back on everything he's always believed and held dear in his life. You feel like you're betraying your parents, your family, your tradition. And so I was up, that Saturday night, I was up till five in the morning praying to God. I prayed, God, I'm gonna go to church tomorrow on Sunday and become a Christian. If you wanna stop me now, you better do it because time is running out. Once I become a Christian, it's gonna be over. I'm gonna follow Jesus. And the next day I went, well, nothing happened. So the next day I went to church very, with a lot of fear and trembling. And on January 20th, 1985, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. This is a, I have this Bible here just to show it to you. This is a Bible I bought when I was still a Muslim. It is very old and worn out. I bought this because I, we had to have a Bible for our Christian school, for our Bible classes. And the first thing I wrote on this Bible as a Muslim was Bismillah rahman rahim in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. But a week later, this is what I wrote in this Bible. Sasan Tavasoli, new birth, Sunday, 20th of January, 1985, 12.40 p.m. Shortly, I was, I was about 16 and a half when I came to faith in Christ. Shortly after my conversion, as I was reading the Gospel of John, I came across Jesus' statement that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And I, that was my call to mission. If Jesus is truly the way, the truth, and the life, 
It's my privilege and my responsibility to tell the Muslims about the truth and the way and the life. And God has faithfully provided for me, guided me, and protected me in all these years. And now I have the privilege of telling other Iranians and other Muslims about Christ. My testimony is just one example of what's happening in a phenomenal way in the world today. Before I get into the rest of this, uh, this uh, course this week, I want to encourage you with the truth that Jesus is building his church in the Muslim world before our very eyes. It is true that Muslims are still the largest unreached people group in the world. It is true that the church is giving very little in terms of money and number of missionaries to go to the Muslim world to preach the gospel. The challenges are many, but more Muslims have come to Christ in our generation than all the 1400 years of Islam combined. In terms of the history of Islam and Christianity, we live in unprecedented times. Some of you watching these programs might be in the West and not know much about Muslims around you. Some of you watching these programs might be living in a Muslim country and be very discouraged about how Islam is all around you. But I want to give you a snapshot of what Jesus is doing in the Muslim world. In my country of Iran, American missionaries went there about 180 years ago, and they were all kicked out at the time of the revolution. Missionaries had done many good things in my country. They built hospitals, they built schools, they built churches. But when they were kicked out after 150 years of ministry, there were estimates of 2,500 evangelical Christians in Iran. In the last few years, mission leaders estimate that between 250,000 and 1 million Iranians have come to Christ. Mission leaders have said, Ayatollah Khomeini did more for the spread of the gospel than any missionary. Why? Because people have seen the true face of Islam, and they are very disillusioned with it. Because in the name of Islam, they have seen so much death and destruction and violence that they are turning away from it. And this is a message I want you to know about. We live in dangerous times and very violent times. But God is using all the violence and radicalism of Islam to draw many people to Christ because Muslims are tired of all the death and destruction in the name of their God. And they are looking for the Prince of Peace in their lives. In Sudan, in the, in the last five years, there are estimates of one million Muslims that have become Christians, despite all the persecution by the Sudanese government. The Bible Society in Egypt reports that in the late 1990s, they used to give out 3,000 Bibles every year. But in 2005, the Egyptian Bible Society gave away over 600,000 copies of the New Testament in one year and one million copies of the Jesus film. In Algeria, North Africa, estimates of 40,000 Muslims that have come to Christ. In Central Asian countries like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, 15 years ago, hardly any known Christian in the country. Today, in those countries, about 15,000 Muslims that have come to Christ. In Bangladesh, one of the largest Muslim countries in the world, it's been documented over 150,000 Muslims that have come to faith. In Afghanistan, since the, the, the Taliban were kicked out of the country, 
Missionaries are telling us about 10,000 Afghanis have come to accept Christ. In Kashmir, a very uh, violent region between India and Pakistan, 10,000 Muslims have accepted Christ, the Prince of Peace in their lives. Now, these numbers are not very big in terms of the percentage of the population. In some big churches in the West, you have more Christians in one church than Christians in all of the countries, in some of these countries. But I want you to sense the excitement of the new work of God because there used to be a day when missionaries would go to a Muslim country, live all their life, and not see one convert. And so Christians have this image that Muslims are too hard. You can't reach them with the gospel. They won't listen. I don't want you to believe that lie for a minute. Some of the hungriest people for Christ are Muslim young people because they have realized in Islam there is no future for them. There is no hope. It's just violence and despair. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is sitting on his throne and he is in control of history. He is using the violence and the evil of radical Islam. He is using it for his own purposes and glory, and he is using it to draw people out of the darkness of Islam into the light of the gospel. In the West and in America, there is a lot of fear about Islam, but God is working behind the scenes in the hearts of millions of Muslims in the world. There is a pastor in America, his name is John Piper. After September 11, 2001, he preached a message. And the title of the message is, was Jesus building his church on September 11? Because it was such a tragic moment in America. It really shook people up. Now, some of you watching this in other parts of the world, you are, you, you are familiar with tragedy and violence in your lives and in your countries. But Americans were just were just struck with so much evil that they couldn't understand why God would allow this to happen. And Piper pointed out an incredible truth in that sermon. He said, what if God allowed these evil men to accomplish their goal because right around that time, millions of Hindu untouchables were considering whether they should convert to Islam or Christianity or Buddhism the lowest of the Indian caste system, they are called the Dalits, the untouchables. And Piper said, what if God had their eternal salvation in mind and allowed the evil of Islam to turn them away from Islam and into the arms of Christ? I was talking to a, to a missionary last year, last year who had just come from India, and he said in the last two years, the, in one region of India, they had seen five thousand house churches made up of Dalit people. I want you to get a big picture of what God is doing in the world. I tell folks in America, don't let CNN define reality for you. Don't let the news media define what's going on in the world. What defines reality is Christ and his promises. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, beautiful reassuring verses. In chapter 1 of Ephesians verse 11, he, he says, In him, which is Christ, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, 
who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And then in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, we read that for by him, again, Christ, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. All things, all authorities were created for him and by him. Is Jesus in control of what's going on in the world? Did Osama bin Laden take Jesus by surprise? I have a friend who says there is no oops in God's dictionary. Jesus is fulfilling his promise. And in our generation, as I said, more Muslims have come to Christ than all the first 1,400 years combined. So why have I gone into this detail in the introduction of our course on theology? Because I want you to be hopeful. I want you to be encouraged that Jesus is alive and he is calling Muslims out of the darkness of Islam in very new ways. You are not in a losing battle. Your King Jesus is fulfilling his plans in this world. And he's called us with the privilege of being his ambassadors. So if we are called to be his ambassadors, we better know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. And we better know what Muslims believe so we can effectively communicate the truth of Christ to them. That's why we are studying theology. It's not just some head knowledge. It's the most practical thing you can do this week to prepare yourself for a life of exciting adventure with Christ. When mission leaders study the factors that are drawing Muslims to Christ, they have discovered a few things. Fuller Seminary in California did a survey of, four, of 600 former Muslims. So they asked these 600 Muslims, what, what drew you to come to Christ? They discovered four prominent themes in the conversions of Muslims. The first factor was the fact that Muslims did not have assurance of salvation, and so in the message of the gospel, they could find assurance of forgiveness and assurance of salvation. The second prominent theme in the conversion stories were dreams and visions. More specifically, dreams and visions of Christ. I don't know of any Iranian Christian that hasn't had a dream or vision of Jesus in, in coming to know the gospel. I told you, Jesus is doing something new and something unique in the Muslim world. A third theme in their conversion was answered prayer. Muslims would like be in trouble and they would cry to Jesus for help and deliverance. And a fourth theme was to see the love of God in the Bible and expressed in the church. Another theme that some other researchers found out is, being, is, is the beauty of the personality of Jesus. They just fall in love with Christ when they read the Gospels. So Jesus is working in the hearts of Muslim people. Now, you say, why then study theology if Jesus is appearing in dreams? The main reason that I want you to study theology this week is not that through theological arguments and debates you can lead Muslims to Christ. Of course, as we witness to Muslims, we need to answer their objections, 
We need to defend our faith. We need to clarify their issues. But the main reason I want you to study theology this week is that you can help Muslims, once they come to faith in Christ, to grow as disciples of Christ in their new faith. Yeah, most Muslims will not accept the gospel because you uh, win their, the, the, the argument or the debate. The Spirit of God draws Muslims to Christ because he is so beautiful and they find him precious. And of course, I'm talking in general terms. There are exceptions. For me itself, for, for me, myself, apologetics were very important. But for most Muslims, the ones I know, it's not a, through apologetics that they come to faith. They are drawn to Christ, but apologetics and theology help them grow in their faith and deepen their roots in their understanding of God, in their understanding of Christ and salvation. So this is the end of our first hour. In the second session, we will introduce the themes for this course. What I want to do in this course is to introduce you to how Islam challenges the Christian faith. So what Muslims believe, we will study what Muslims believe, how they challenge us about our beliefs, and then how we need to respond to their challenges. But we will, get, we will start that in the second hour.